Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you here, and, and uh, I was so excited it was raining this morning. Um, I, I just I thought, well, God, I've done all this work prepping, and uh, some people might be missing it because of the nice weather, and so, so I was rejoicing when I saw that rain this morning. <laughs> I apologize if your plans were ruined. I really, I really do, because I wouldn't want that to happen if I was uh, expecting good weather, so I'm sorry about that. Um, Right now, um, my role at South End is to lead school ministers. We begin our, our next year on Wednesday. It's our sixth year, and we have 60 year one students and 16 year two students uh, ready to start up on, on Wednesday, and we're very excited about that. I know many of them are excited and nervous at the same time. And I just want to encourage you, if you're ever in the church on a Wednesday or Friday, um, to, to just bless these students if you, as you see them walk around. Don't be scared of them. They're, they're awesome. And just bless them because, you know what? Uh, our world would say not to set aside a year or even two years to do something like that. And I have seen the fruit that God has uh, brought about through their lives um, in school ministers, and uh, it is an incredible investment that they can make. So encourage them in that um, as they invest these next eight months. This morning we're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's been a great uh, series this summer. I've enjoyed it. I've grown through it. I've, I've had quite a bit of holidays this summer. But I always try to listen online or, or get the notes from whoever preached. And uh, I asked to do a specific passage. Uh, so if you're going to be following along with the series, you're going to notice that we're missing some verses. Uh, but I wanted to preach on this because it's something that God uh, has really used in my life. But also, I've watched him do it, uh, use this in the year two students that we have. Because we go through the New Testament every year. And right early in the year, this passage has been very key for them. So we're going to go to the end of Matthew 6. And Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. He gives us a command to not worry. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Then skipping a few verses later, we're going to jump around a little bit this morning. He asks the question, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And then a few more verses later, he says again the command, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now, I sometimes like to imagine what it would have been like to hear Jesus teach, and there was probably big crowds at that time. And I'm pretty sure that if I was in a crowd, I would not have spoken up, but I, inside I would have been thinking, what do you mean, Jesus? Do not worry, that's impossible. <laughs> I would have thought, I, you know what, the, the not lusting, the not judging, the not lashing out in anger, I can see how I can get there. But not worry? I mean, I, I would have been tempted to kind of bail at that point and say, this guy, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about because he certainly hasn't had the worries I've had to, had to deal with. And so what I want to do in the message, one of the things is to talk about why did he give this command? I mean, there were, there were big sins he could have been talking about, but he, he spends time and actually many verses on talking about this issue of worry. So we're going we're gonna to answer why. And then we're going to talk about how to never worry again. No, that's not exactly what we're going to talk about. But how do we conquer it when we begin to worry? And I actually think it's possible to grow in this. And that's exciting. Um, because, because I think all of us worry. And uh, if we, we haven't had stuff recently to worry about, it's just probably around the corner, right? That's, that's how it works. So we're going to pray, and then, then we're going to talk about this issue of worry. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We rejoice in what you're doing in the camp. I just, I'm in awe of that, God. I could have never imagined that when we got involved years ago. And, and what, what I rejoice in is the lives that are represented 
in that number of over 900. And we praise you for that, Jesus. We just want to ask this morning that you would work in our hearts. Uh, we just acknowledge that we're, we worry. <laughs> and then you say, do not worry. So we're interested, God, in what you have to say in your word and through your spirit. And we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So why does Jesus make this command? And uh, I think there's two primary reasons. The first one is that God is for us. God actually loves us. As, he's our creator. I mean, I know you know that. But when he gives us a command like that, he's actually, he's thinking about making our lives better. And, and sometimes in church we're hesitant to talk ab uh, about that, making our lives better, because it sounds kind of like self-help stuff. But, but even as we know the dangers of just talking about having an easy life, we need to stop and remember that God actually does care that we have a decent life. He cares how we feel. He cares whether we thrive or not. When we hear God's commands, we often uh, kind of think of them as suggestions. I mean, we would never say that, but we're kind of like, well, we'll see if that's a good idea right now in my life. <laughs> or, or sometimes we'll even think of commands as something that's going to make us miserable. Uh, I'll relate it to my childhood. My parents had commands or rules. Not many of them, actually. And, and one of them they had was dress up warm in winter. Okay, that was their rule. And I hated the rule, honestly. And I was convinced that they were trying to make my life miserable through that rule. Because, I mean, it takes time to put on something warmer in the morning, right? Like, I mean, you can get an extra few minutes of sleep, or in my case, video games before going off to school. And so I thought, they just, oh, what, what are they? they don't know, right? Like, they don't know. So finally, at the age of 18 or 19, one day I thought, I hate winter, okay? I just, like, absolutely hate it. And I thought, how can I make winter better? Because I, didn't, I figured it wasn't going away. I mean, it, it hasn't still, right? So, and then all of a sudden the thought came to me, wear warmer clothing. I oh, I had trouble with that because, because that would mean admitting that my parents were right, you know? So, <laughs> so I think I waited another year and then I adjusted. <laughs> now, that's how we respond to God's commands often. It's like, I don't know how this is going to work out in my life. And yet, yet the Bible says that his commands are good. Psalm chapter 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. This is what Jesus is saying, actually. By, by doing the Sermon on the Mount and the commands that he has in there, he's wanting to revive our lives. It's not to make us miserable. It's not a suggestion. He's saying out of his love for us, here's how your life can get better. <laughs> the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. When we line our lives up with God, God's commands, we get more joy. You know, a lot of times we have a prayer request. I think lots of people pray this. God, I want more joy in my life. And we just keep asking. We keep banging on that door. More joy, please, God. More joy, please. But you know what? There's sometimes he's saying, why don't you look at my commands that will actually obedience to them will bring you more joy. And this is one of the commands, so do not worry. The commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes. So do not worry. How does that actually uh, help us? Uh, you know, God says, I love you. I want you to do well. Well, it's actually pretty obvious, but I think we forget it, is that our, the quality of our lives increases when we don't worry. I mean, one day years ago, I can't remember. You know what? I don't know what it is. I, I can't distinguish anymore what point in my life's things happen. It's all a big blur now. I don't know if that gets worse or not, but, but it's just like a big blur. But at some point, 
God uses logic with me sometimes because I'm, I'm a logical guy. And he said, he said to me, you know what, where's your worrying getting you? Does, does it ever change anything? Nope. Actually, it makes my life worse. So then he took me to that passage, and he said, that's why I said do not worry. I was like, oh, okay. I thought there was some, like, bigger grand reason. Actually, just because you love me. And so we have, we have to recognize that, that obedience to this is going to improve our lives. Matthew 6, 25. We read part of this before, but I want to finish the whole verse. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, which you will eat or drink, or about your body, which you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Like, let me give you a paraphrase of that last verse. Is, isn't the quality of your life more important than worrying about those things? Now, the irony is in, in North America, we have a lot of wealth. And yet, stats show that North Americans are among the most stressed, worrisome, and anxious people in the world. Uh, drug companies are constantly developing anxiety medication for North Americans and some of the more wealthier countries. And, and it's because we've increased our list of things to worry about. And Jesus, I think, is saying, he didn't use these words, but I believe he's saying, do not worry so that you won't be in slavery. Because think about it, and again, I know this, I've done this. When we begin to worry about things, we begin to dwell on them, we actually end up in chains. We can't enjoy life in any way. And so Jesus is saying, Come, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about that. Now, again, the question is how, Jesus, which we will get to in a bit. But I think Jesus is actually using logic here. Uh, like a parent. He's saying, it just doesn't make any sense. And uh, over the years, I've become less of a worrywart. I've, I've really grown in this. And, and I was listing this week some of the things that, that have happened in my life because I worry less. And one of them is, uh, is, is better sleep. I mean, how is that a, not a good thing? Now, there are things that are going to steal sleep that we have no control over, okay? I'll, I'll give you an example. J just, whatever. This is a good story, okay? And uh, last night, um, or in the morning, I wake up this morning, and uh, I look beside me, and Carolyn's not there, my wife. And I'm like, where'd she go? Because I know I get up earlier than her. I thought, oh, I must have been tossing and turning or snoring or something like that. So she exited. So I, I go into the uh, living room, and she's lying there on the couch. And I, I said, uh, why are you on the couch? And she said, do you know what happened last night? I said, no, I don't know what happened last night. <laughs> she said, she said she'd gone to the bathroom and came back in, and a couple minutes after she came back into the room and lay down, all of a sudden, I just violently turned over, swung my arm, and hammered the pillow beside her head. <laughs> now, normally you would think I would say, really, I did that, but I knew exactly what had happened. You know, sometimes you have dreams, you remember your dreams. Last night, in a dream, I, I ended up in a fight with a bear. <laughs> like, I'm serious. <laughs> and, and at some point, I remember in the dream, at some point, the bear coming at me from the side and me swinging my arm. And so, I, I don't know why at that moment, I, my theory is that when Carolyn comes in the room, it's dark, she's trying to be quiet, that she kind of came like this into the room. So I, I don't know if that's what happened, but. So I had a great sleep, but she didn't, right? So, but so my po the point I'm making here, not just to entertain you, but to put the point I'm making is when Jesus says, do not worry, it doesn't mean things aren't going to happen in our life that, that we have no control over. He's talking about the, the control that we have 
to choose to not worry about things that, that are kind of, you know, outside of our control or, or even in our control. And so we, we, we need to recognize that, that it helps us. So I began to sleep better when I stopped worrying so much. I began to have more patience. That's a good thing. Began to see more fruit in my ministry. Let's use school ministers as an example. Okay, we, we as staff are no different than anybody else who serves in this church. Okay, we can get stressed about the things we lead. And I remember first starting school ministers, and, and I remember the first couple of years, like the first week, just so stressful. Right? Worrying about things, again, that I had no control over. And as God has grown me over those years, what, what more joy I have entering a first year, uh, week like this. But I don't just benefit from that. The students benefit from that because a leader who's more at peace and joy is going to help them better, right? Wouldn't you agree with that? So, so actually, everybody's benefiting by me getting rid of worry. Not completely, but less worrying. And so again, Jesus is saying, this will really help you. In verse 34, he continues on. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. And then, what a true statement here. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now that, that's, I mean, I, one, of the, one of the verses in the Bible I can agree with very quickly. And so Jesus isn't saying, do not worry, like just generally. He's saying, part of that is not worrying about tomorrow. I'm going to put it another way. Don't live in tomorrow. There's enough stress and challenges in today that you can't carry tomorrow. We, we sang, Great is uh, Thy Faithfulness. Great song. I'm glad we do hymns once in a while. I didn't grow up with hymns because I didn't grow up a Christian, but I still love some of the, just the language of the hymns. And, and it says in there, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. It doesn't say in the morning he's going to give you strength for today and strength for the stuff tomorrow and that. He gives us hope for tomorrow, but he doesn't give us all the strength all at once. But sometimes we're looking for that, Right? And we're just like, but that's coming up. Oh no, Jesus, give me strength now for that. And, and that's not how he works. So he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Today, today's got enough of its, of, of its own. And that's why elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught his disciples to pray. Give us today our daily, what? Bread. bread. Daily bread. Not have a big prayer meeting and say, God, I'm going to go hard for an hour here. And I'm going to pray that you give me my bread for the rest of my life. I mean, we, you know what? Sometimes we want to pray those prayers because then we, would, we wouldn't have to depend on Jesus then. Right? But he says, give us today our daily bread. So now most of us don't have to worry about our daily bread. So here's what I've learned to pray. Give me today my daily grace. Now, now I'm not saying we shouldn't ever think about tomorrow. I'm not saying we shouldn't plan at all. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about tomorrow. But here's what I've learned to do in obeying this. Is Jesus is inviting us to say, okay, here's what I have today, Jesus. Help me with that. Give me wisdom there. Anoint me for that. Give me strength here and all that. And oh yeah, I start praying about the next days, but very quickly I draw a line and I say, okay, I'll pray about tomorrow. I'll pray about a week down the road, whatever it is. But then I draw a line around and I say, okay, now I release that to you, Jesus, because I still have to live today. And, and, and we need to learn how to do that. That's, it actually takes practice to live in today. In fact, the busier we get, I find that I have to almost live in the hour. <laughs> Just constantly release the next hour to Jesus. i got to live now. And the, the thing is, we gain joy then. See, here's what we often do, okay? Let's say this past Monday, people wake up. Oh, I can't wait for the long weekend. Right? Like, oh, that's my hope. That five days down the road or six days down the road. That's my hope. But then we go to work and we dread work. 
right? We dread that day of work because we haven't found our daily grace for that day. We're just like skipping ahead when we've got something good we're looking forward to. Now, you can look forward to something, no problem. But to be able to say, yeah, I'm looking forward to the long weekend. But I release that to you, Jesus, and I'm going to concentrate on today. What about bad things that are coming up? Often we just spend hours dwelling on them. You know, sleepless nights, right? Tossing and turning at night. I've never been much of a tosser and turner at night. It's more when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, there's this day and then there's that day coming up and there's that day coming up. And Jesus is inviting us, saying, don't worry about that. So that, I mean, it's awesome. In Matthew 6, 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Medical research proves that actually worrying at a high enough level takes time out of our lives. It actually causes us to die younger. I mean, Jesus didn't need modern medical research to, to know that. He created us. And so Jesus, again, out of love for us, is saying, let go of this worrying. So it's, a, it's out of love. Now, now, there's a second reason why I think he gives this command. I think he gives this command because it is for God's glory when we obey this. In Matthew 5, chapter 5, this is earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This, this is our calling. I mean, this is why we don't have to get bored as Christians, because we have the opportunity to be a light each and every day. And this is an extremely important calling. See, a lot of churches, and, and I know this doesn't happen here largely, but a lot of churches are waiting for, for their pastor or their leaders to do everything. But here's the truth. I can't be a light in your workplace. I can't. I mean, I might visit. I might try to be a kind customer. But I can't get into all your workplaces. I can't go to all your family events. I would not want to go to all your family events. I can't go to your neighborhood. But you can be a light there. This is an important calling. And, and we need to obey this calling. This is a command as well. Now, here's the question. What's more attractive? A Christian who is as stressed out as everybody else in the world, who complains just as much, or somebody who has peace and joy? I mean, we've got to show people that there's a difference. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or heap guilt on you if you struggle with worry and anxiety. I'm just saying this is why this command is as urgent as any other command in the Bible. We have to grow out of our worrying because there's an attraction that comes when, when we have a peace that's, that's beyond what other people... They just can't understand it. And then they ask for an explanation. Now, I'll just tell you a little bit of a story here. The guy who led me to Jesus is a guy by the name of Nathan Dick. He's actually Tom Dick's uh, brother, Pastor Tom's brother. And so I met Tom years ago, actually, when he was a 16-year-old, long before he worked at the church here. And uh, he was a brat uh, then, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Do we have security? Or I don't, back then. I don't even know what they said. So, was it an amen? I don't. So, so, anyways, Tom's brother Nathan. Uh, we went to university together, and uh, one day he asked to meet with me. And I knew that he was a great student. I was getting good, good marks as well. And so I thought, oh, yeah, we can sit down and boast together and talk about how all the, all the other students are dumb. That's what I was thinking, okay? <laughs> you can see why I needed to be saved, right? <laughs> so we sit down, and Nathan doesn't start talking about other students. This is what he says, are you happy? And I said, no, 
I'm surprised. It was a Holy Spirit thing that I was actually honest with him. Um, and I said, no, I'm not happy because getting those good grades and all the other stuff was actually putting intense pressure on me. And I was not happy at all. I portrayed that I was happy, but he asked that question. For the next two weeks, I began to read the Bible. He, he said, I told him, I'm not going to make a decision here, like in one moment, but, but I'm going to start reading the Bible. So I started reading it and weighing what I was reading and weighing this decision of becoming a Christian, what, whatever all that meant, right? And I remember the thing that kind of sealed the deal for me in those early days. You know what it was? It was Nathan being a light. I, I couldn't shake the fact that Nathan was different than everybody, all the other students I met. I couldn't shake that. I couldn't shake the reality that when all of us were stressing about exams, he was saying things like, yeah, you know, I hope I do well, but I got peace because there's more to life than, than this. I mean, I wanted to punch him. I mean, it's <laughs> like, what do you mean there's more to life? This is my career. <laughs> and, and now I know what he was, why he was like that. And often when we're not doing well, we, we're, we actually resent the happy ones, right? But deep down, that's what we want. And so, so as I decided to make a decision for Jesus, I had very much had Nathan in my mind. This past week, I got together with a, a man who's uh, going to be 70 in September. Uh, he lives in Winnipeg. I've, I've known him for years, and uh, we get together once every year or few years. It just, he's kind of an informal mentor in my life. And we sat down, and I had a purpose to the meeting. I wanted to ask him a couple of questions on how he handles certain situations. But, but I also uh, wanted to take my son to, to be with him. And uh, so anyways, we sat down uh, for breakfast, and he's kind of got a little bit of a quirk, is he refuses to eat a meal, on his, like, like one meal by himself, so he, he believes in sharing uh, the meal. And uh, so we always order together. I've, I've known that about him. In fact, years ago, we used to go to Alto's for the two ninety nine breakfast that we would share, <laughs> okay? <laughs> So we sat down, I asked him a couple of questions, and as usual, he answered the question briefly, and then he proceeded to tell stories about how God was using him, um, about how God taught him about fasting recently, and he went up from leading one person to Jesus a week, now it's up to three a week he's leading to Jesus. And, and I mean, this guy, he, would, he, he doesn't tell you the challenges he had, but I know he has challenges, just like anybody. But, but we sat there, and we left after, and I said to Josh, did you enjoy that time? I mean... I mean, the pancakes my son had. I mean, the, we were at the old pancake house. I mean, unbelievable mound of pancakes. So I thought he'd be happy at least with the meal. He said, Daddy, he didn't even talk about the pancakes. He said, Daddy, oh, I like that guy. And I said, why? He said, like, oh, because his stories, and like, he's so happy. I felt like saying, like, as opposed to your dad or what? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but I didn't ask. Now I've known this guy for years. Why is he so happy? Why does he lead so many people to Jesus? And I believe it's because he obeys the teachings of Jesus in his life. He decided at a young age to do that. And he's decided a long time ago to not worry. And, and, and God's given him this incredible ministry. Now, even this guy, he can't go to your workplace. And so this is a command for God's glory. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, well, you know, I don't worry much. I'm good on this. And you might even look down at other Christians who worry who even have to go on medication because of things like anxiety. You may think, well, wh why are you worrying? You might be feeling a little bit smug right now. Now, I doubt there's many people like that, but I, I just, when we teach sometimes, we have to address potential groups that are here. You might be thinking, I've never had a reason to worry. But you know what? Sometimes people don't worry, not because they're relying on God. They don't worry because 
life's handed them lots of like good stuff. Like maybe you've grown up really well to do and, and you've had good health. And you've been, you've been walking around saying, look at me, I don't worry. But you know what? Actually, this isn't what Jesus is calling us to, to have an easy, uh, easy life. <laughs> this isn't what this passage is about. He's saying, actually, life will be hard either because of circumstances or because you're supposed to be furthering the kingdom. Sometimes we don't have any worries because we're not actually obeying Jesus. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's also a command. And you know what? If you begin to obey that, you're going to have lots to worry about. Okay, so Jesus isn't saying don't have anything in your life that you would ever worry about. He's saying have those things but don't worry in the midst of those things. So it may be a very small group of people, but some people will need to hear this message and say, yikes, I have nothing that I need to rely on God for. And that's you know, sad, actually. That's sad. And some of you might be like, oh my goodness, I worry all the time. This is so convicting. Do you know what? If you turn to Jesus in your worries, Jesus absolutely loves you. He absolutely loves you in this. Romans 8, 17 now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, it is actually the expectations that we will suffer for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we go and just create suffering because we're jerks or something like that. <laughs> but I tell you, we should be asking ourselves if, if we just got life, whew, it's so easy. We should be asking, Jesus I've been blessed with some advantages here. What do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do so that I have to rely on you? <laughs> and I, he'll begin to dramatically change your life. And so God calls us to that kind of life, a life where we have things to worry about, but we don't worry. And so that takes us to our, to our big question, is how do we actually conquer worry? How do we actually pull this off? And again, we're all going to be coming from different places on this. Some worry lots, some worry less. And I'm going to give you a very simple solution this morning, right from the words of Jesus, and that is to trust God. That is how we don't worry. To trust God. Two simple words. Trust God. You know, I, sometimes we like to try to make things complicated, and, and you might say, oh good, he's done the message. Well, I actually will talk about trusting God for, for 20 minutes or so, but but I don't want to complicate it either by continuing to teach. I mean, there's, there's ways to trust God. We'll talk about what that looks like. But we need to remember, it's not complicated in the sense that there's a massive formula. Jesus actually brings it down to trusting God. That's how you stop worry. Matthew 6.30 If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. See, that, like, he knew the people, right? They're sitting there like any normal group of people hearing teaching. And he's like, oh, I know lots of them worry. <laughs> I mean, Jesus especially knew. I know some of them worry. And, and you know, he could have he said, oh, yeah, I've, life's got lots of things to worry about. Oh, yeah, he could have, like, could have said that. But what does he say? Actually, it's about your faith. It's like, What? <laughs> No, 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 Jesus. I, I, that's inconvenient. I, I need to. Can I blame the circumstances? He cuts right through all that and says it's about your trust. The, the, the New Testament word faith often can be translated trust. The Greek word means trust essentially. 
So he's saying, oh, you have little trust when you worry. See, it puts it back on us, actually. Now, when we say trust God, we have to be careful about not being too vague. And I've made this mistake before, especially in the early years of ministry. People come to my office with some kind of problem. And uh, usually when Tim Ryan wasn't available, that's usually when they came to see me. And they would, they would go on about their challenges, and I, I would listen. Um, and then, then usually I would give them a, 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 the same message. You just need to trust God more. Now, I recognize sometimes that was insensitive to say that. It was the right thing to say, but, but there's something insensitive about the way I said it. I recognize that not everybody knows what that means to trust God. See, to say the words trust God, I mean, many times when people leave and say, you're right, trusting God, good idea. They'd leave, the circumstances would still be there, and they were like, what does that mean to trust God? See, when I'm saying trust God, and when Jesus is pointing us to this, he's talking about not trusting someone who is vague or impersonal. Just this name God. He's talking about a real God with real characteristics and a real track record. And so when we say trust God, we should be saying to ourselves, but to others, trust a God who is these things. We need to fill our minds with specific things about God. Lots of people say they trust God in their world, but it's this vague idea or wrong idea of what God even is. There's no power in that. There's power in knowing a real God with real characteristics. And so let me apply this here. Jesus says in this passage that we just looked at, he talks about the grass of the field. He says, I care for them. I provide for the grass of the field. And so Jesus is saying, not just trust God vaguely, trust a God who provides. You know, when we're struggling with our sin, we're thinking, oh, I've made a mess of my life with my sin. The, the last thing we should be thinking is just trust God. We should be thinking, trust God who is merciful. That's where the worry starts to leave. Let's say you've got difficult things coming up. I mean, we all have different seasons of life. And, and, or we have fear over what could be coming up. Again, we can say trust God, but really what Jesus is saying is trust a God who is almighty. Trust a God who is good, who has a good plan for our lives. See, I'm afraid, even as a pastor, sometimes I've been too vague in just saying, trust Jesus. <laughs> you know how the songs go? Trust and obey, you know, there's no other way, right? But, but sometimes we, people don't have, you know, who God is in their minds and their hearts, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So Jesus is saying, trust this God who, if he cares for the grass, he's going to care for you. Then he talks about another part of nature in 626. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? A question that, why does Jesus ask questions sometimes? It's because he's inviting us to think. He's inviting us to enter in and and use some logic and say, wait a second, yeah, the birds don't seem to worry. I mean, I remember one morning I was lying in bed, and I would call it paralyzed by fear of, of what was coming up. I mean, you know, we don't like to say those kind of phrases where you say, oh, I was a little bit worried about what's coming up. No, I was paralyzed by fear. And I was, I was just like, oh, Lord. I mean, sometimes you can actually get so worried or so anxious or so stressed that you can't even think, right? I, I know many of us have had that experience. And all of a sudden, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, listen. And I heard the birds start to, to make, you know, sing in the morning. 
And he brought me to this passage. He said, do you, do you think they're worrying about tomorrow or thinking about tomorrow? Now, I, you feel like asking God a question. Well, God, did they even think? Like, you know, just whatever. <laughs> but you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to just listen to what he's saying, right? I said, no, I, I'd imagine they, uh, they're not concerned about tomorrow. I said, so what are you doing here in bed, paralyzed in fear about tomorrow? Get up. And then not in a harsh voice, get up. Just get up, Chris. It's going to be okay. Have I not been with you in the past? And so Jesus is trying to get us to do this, is to trust this specific God. It says in here that he's a heavenly father. You know, let's think about what a good father is like. If my kids come to me and they say they're hungry, I usually respond with a question. Are you really hungry or are you bored? Okay, so that's a common question I use. But if they say that they're actually hungry, I make sure they get food. I say, yeah, you can eat. That's a good father. A good father would do that. And so Jesus is trying to inspire us to say, don't worry, your father's like that. In fact, he's even better than that. And I think if we just listen sometimes for those encouragements. Matthew 6.32, Jesus says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you know that we spend so much of our time trying to get more things in our life to deal with the stress and worry that we have? Isn't that true? And then Jesus is saying, again, he cuts through it all. He says, don't be like the pagans. I mean, that's pretty insightful that he used that word because, because, I mean, many of the audience would be Jews, and the word pagan was essentially the saying, like a person who's foolish, who doesn't believe in God. And he says, don't be like those people. They, again, many of them are probably smug. Ah, oh, yeah, the pagans, they do all kinds of horrible things. And then Jesus, again, is he's challenging them and saying, actually, if you're not like the pagans, you're, then you're not going to be consumed by worry. You're not going to be consumed about building up this empire in your life so that you have protection from every difficult thing that's ever going to come. A number of years ago, I, I, I decided that you know, sometimes we have big storms and, and uh, you know, you, you wonder, you might not have, get to a grocery store for a few days or, or even things are knocked out. I mean, we haven't had that happen much in our culture, but I'm, a, I'm aware. I mean, now computers, we rely more on computers and electrical grid can be attached to that. So, so all of a sudden I got this idea. I thought, you know what, we're going to have some extra food and water on hand just in case. And, and again, if others are in a bind, we can help them out. You know, and then all of a sudden at that moment I was like, huh. Maybe we should store up enough for the end times, <laughs> you know? And I mean, I was getting carried away. I'm like, that's right, the end times. There's going to be difficult, difficult times coming. And again, I'm not saying God won't call, call us to ever prepare, but this wasn't about preparing. <laughs> this is about me taking control. And oh, my kids started to mock me. They're like, Daddy, come on. Like, how much, first of all, how much you eat, you'd have to store up like a household full of stuff. Like, we don't have a big enough house, right? So, I mean, we eventually settled and said, okay, let's just have enough on hand to, to you know, feed ourselves for a week and, and maybe even longer, but, but to help others. And I liked what Chris Dirksen said uh, years ago now. He said, you know what, you can plan to try to, to, you know, take care of yourself in those times. God's just going to ask you to give it away anyway. So <laughs> I thought that was, a, that's, but to be able to even receive a word like that is, well, I trust this God, this heavenly father. Why not run after things like the pagans? So I think a lot of you are probably thinking right now, this sounds good, this level of trust. It sounds wonderful. Now some of you naturally trust more. My wife is the type of person, she just, she's more likely to just naturally trust. And I'm on the other side where, like, I'm very, again, I, I think lots, I, I just, it, sometimes it's a blessing, but it's not always a blessing. And I'm not a natural truster. 
So I've had to learn how to cultivate this trust, this trust in God. And so I want to spend the remainder of the message just giving you a couple suggestions on how to cultivate trust, this kind of trust that Jesus is inviting us to. The first suggestion is to regularly remember what God has done. You know, I, I've, noticed, I've noticed something, a, a tendency that we have as believers. It's to, to ask God to do everything all at once. What I mean by this is we hear a message and we say, I want to trust like that. Yeah, I don't want to worry. There's good fruit of not worrying. So God, can you hit me tomorrow in devotions and instantly make me into a trusting person? I mean, we want that quick solution, right? Like just God, God, you do it all. <laughs> Deliver me, take away this, take away that, change my inside, and then the rest of life I'll just kind of coast on this encounter with God. And, and that's not the way it works, <laughs> I'm not saying that there's not powerful moments with God. But often God is doing a work in our lives so that we keep depending on Him, not so that we don't need Him anymore. I'll say it another way. God is not trying to create us into robots who just automatically trust, automatically trust, right? Like He actually wants a vibrant relationship. And so that's why He often doesn't answer our prayers. Give me perfect trust for the rest of my life, God. <laughs> no. But he, he does answer prayers. So you know what a common question throughout church history has been this question. What does God do and what do I have to do? And you know what? I'm going to give you some advice. Stop asking that question. God works and we work. It's both. It really is. So I'm just going to share with you a little bit here the work we have to do in building trust. The work is that we need to remember what God has done. We have to intentionally build time in our schedules where we review what God has done in our lives. This is what we do in devotions. This is why we come to prayer summits. This is why we come to church. I mean, honestly, and this may sound like an overstatement, but I, I'm, I'm carefully choosing my words. I'm scared to withdraw from Christian community. Because I tell you what, in normal life, normal world, normal Chris Puhatch thinking, I forget so fast how great God is. Very quickly. So I make sure that I'm anchored in community, in these regular habits. We need to look at our own lives and we need to say, God, what have you done in my life? Now, I'll no, I'm going to point out another tendency. Sometimes we demand that God give us a new sign or new promise every time we're, we're, we're going to obey something. And I do believe God gives signs. And I do believe God gives promises. Many have testified to that in our church. But we've got to be careful about asking for signs and promises in everything. That's not trust. A lot of times we're just, we're saying, God, you want me to take that step today? Please can I have a new sign? And I think what God's saying sometimes, not always, sometimes in those moments, he's saying, don't I have a track record in your life, Chris? Like, like, I'm not like, I'm not here to entertain you every day with new signs. <laughs> and, and a lot of times we just, we, we, we demand that. And again, I'm not saying there's not moments to get promises or signs. But I find that as I grow in my faith, more and more God asks me to move ahead just based on something he's asked me to do, not based on a promise. Now again, he still gives promises. But what I'm suggesting is don't always think he's going to give a promise. Don't always wait for the sign. Because often he's saying, I've shown you some things already. For example, I died on the cross for you. Doesn't that show his love? A number of our uh, teachers or staff have been talking about this to other people. 
We often say, God, show me that you love me. Show me again today. Hit me again today. And sometimes he's saying, look at what I did on the cross. And sometimes he's saying, look at what I did a year ago. But to remember, we actually have to do something. We actually have to get into those times of quietness and review what he's done in our lives. So we have to, we have to, we have to do that. If we want to grow in trust. Another thing is we can look at the lives of other people to grow our trust. Hebrews chapter 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You notice it didn't say there, imitate their knowledge. Well, I'm going to say something about a couple of our staff. I, I, we like to use staff as examples sometimes. We poke fun at each other. But this one, I'm going to build up these staff. And I'm just using these two, not because they're, they're above other staff in, in this but I'm using these two staff as an example because you, you would more likely know them, okay? I'm going to use Pastor Ray and Chris Dirksen as, uh, as examples, okay? As good examples. And, and you know what? A lot of times I think what people say is, is if I just did as much reading as Chris, I would be able to trust God more. Or if I had, had gone to seminary like Pastor Ray or Chris Puyach, then then I'd be okay. Or if I knew apologetics like Tom Dick, then, and I'm not saying those things won't help, but I'm telling you at the end of the day, the decision we still have to make is will we trust God? Pastor Ray, Chris, God uses them not because of their knowledge, God uses that, but because at the end of the day, they still have to trust God. Pastor Ray is a living example of that for us as a church. Would you agree with that? I, I, did, I, I mean, I didn't say it in the first verse because I didn't want to embarrass him. But, but I tell you, there's times when I've hit walls in life, in ministry. And I'm, I'm shaken. Like, I'm just like, how am I going to keep going? And all of a sudden, I think of Pastor Ray and Fran. All of a sudden, think of them. Let's say we've had physical suffering. All of a sudden, I'll remember all Fran's surgeries, how she kept trusting God, her and Pastor Ray. I'll remember that. That God raises, actually raises up people in our midst to help us trust. You might say, oh, isn't that a weak Christian who has to rely on others? You know what? That's a smart Christian who at times will say, I can't trust on my own. I'm going to rely on somebody else. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't get our own trust, but I'm saying let's not swing to the extreme where we think it's bad to rely on the trust of others. There's been times in my office people have come and their marriages look like they're over. And I'll say, you know what, you, there's hope still. And I can tell from their eyes they, they, they have no hope left. And you, sometimes I'll lean across my desk and I'll say, do you know what, if you have no hope for your marriage right now, I'll tell you this, I have hope for your marriage still. Because I've seen God do powerful things in in the most desperate situations. So I'll say, you know what? Trust my hope right now. <laughs> I'll say, go to Jesus and get your own words from him. But hold on. Believe me, God's done miracles in the lives of couples like you. I'll say that. So God uses us in that way. That's why I want to encourage. we got to make sure we have enough time around believers who do trust God. we got to have enough time around them to be able to, spur on, to be spurred on and to spur on. So we need to look at others' lives. We also need to look at Scripture. There we see a record of what God has done. And I'm not going to spend much time on this because of time, but, but I, I, I've noticed something in years of ministry now. I've noticed that the people who walk in consistent faith are the ones who have consistent time in Scriptures. I have yet to meet a person who has consistent faith who doesn't get into the Scriptures on a regular basis. I mean... They, it's, it's just, it's, it goes hand in hand. 
This summer, I had, a, I had the privilege of studying Psalms with a group of people. And I could see each of us, myself included, growing in trust in the specific challenges in our life as we read the Psalms. Because the Psalms declare, like all of God's Word, who God specifically is. And so, so a lot of times we just need to get into devotions. Now, again, I'm going to say something about devotions here. You know, I've said this before, I'm just going to keep repeating it. Is do not demand powerful experiences out of all your devotional times. I mean, that is a false expectation. Here's what I call devotions for me often, protective. They protect me from straying. <laughs> okay, I don't always have powerful experiences. But as I read the Word, it just it begins to soak in. And when the challenge comes, I might not have a Bible beside me, but all of a sudden I remember, that's right. I read recently that God is a refuge. I'll be okay here. Really, reading the Bible is often an investment that will help us trust in the future. One more suggestion on how to, how to uh, cultivate trust in our lives. We need to reduce analyzing, thinking, and controlling. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. I want you to notice here that it says, trust Him with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And, and here's how I understand it. Our, our hearts are full of all kinds of little compartments representing different areas of our life. You know, there's finances, there's our children, there's our jobs, there's, there's our walk with Jesus. All these different areas that we're, we're concerned about. And I've discovered that if there's even one or two compartments that, that aren't submitted to Jesus, that all of a sudden I can be in turmoil in every area of my life. And so Jesus, uh, well, God, through the Proverbs here, is saying, trust with everything. Now, I just want to say, here's two things that will keep us from having this kind of trust. Number one, shame. Sometimes we're ashamed to go to Jesus with these dark, hidden things. Sometimes it's sin, but sometimes it's like we think we should be further along, and we're ashamed to go to Jesus and, and say, I'm worrying about that little thing, Jesus. But I want to tell you, that shame is not from Jesus. That shame is from the devil. Because the devil is the one who's saying, you know that there? Oh, you've been a Christian that many years? You should be stronger. The, the devil says that. The scriptures say God knows we're but dust. And so Jesus is inviting us in an effort to not worry. He's inviting us, set aside that shame and open yourself up to me. There's nothing too dark Nothing too small that I don't want to hear about. And I tell you, the freedom in this is incredible. And this is for men and for women. Just to begin to bear our hearts. I'm not saying it's easy, but I tell you, that's where we encounter God and that's where the trust begins to build. Another reason why we often don't do this, share all our stuff, and let's admit it, it's because of pride. You know what? There's something about us that likes to be strong. Right? In fact, if we've been hurt when we're younger, often we set up coping mechanisms and often they are to be strong. I mean, some people physically make themselves strong. I mean, weightlift, there's nothing wrong with weightlifting, but they weightlift to make themselves strong so they don't have to ever deal with that pain or have it triggered again. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Lay down your efforts at being strong. I'm okay with you being weak. I'll be strong for you. And God will also be glorified then. So all our hearts 
and in all our ways. And then he says, lean not on your own understanding. He's not saying don't think. He's not saying don't use common sense. He's saying don't lean on those things. This is especially for those of us who are good at analyzing and thinking. There's times where we have to just say, I trust God. When we first got married, I, I, I shared this, I went to seminary, and, and early on, God asked, uh, asked me to give a fellow student $250 to help her pay for her books. I remember going home to tell my wife this, and, and I thought she was going to say no, because when we got married, I had a, an accounting job lined up. I was working in an accounting firm, so she thought, oh, we're going to be taken care of financially, and then just after our honeymoon, I said, by the way, I'm getting called to ministry going back to school. <laughs> so I thought, going back to her and telling her, we don't have money, I know, but let's give $250 to a student that I don't really know. I thought, this was my out. She was going to say, that's crazy. I thought, now I'm not going to have to trust God in this. So, and I can just tell God my wife won't submit, so I can't obey this right now. So, <laughs> You know what she said? Oh yeah, we should give that money. I'm like, shoot. Like, this is, this is not good. My, there goes my out. I said, well, we should probably wait six weeks until things look a little bit better. You know, I'm smart, Right? You know what she said? She said, isn't uh, delayed obedience disobedience? I'm like, I'm going to seminary. You don't say anything, you know? You know, like. <laughs> so we gave the $250, which we essentially didn't have. And within a week, two people anonymously came up and gave us $250 each. Do you know, I learned something about God in that, uh, that moment of trusting him more than I ever learned in all the knowledge I gained in seminary. We're often waiting for God to hit us with more or for us to read that next book. I think the best way we can become trusting people who do not worry is to stop leaning so much on our own efforts and to start just trusting him. Now, he needs to give us words to trust, for sure, his written word and, and out of listening prayer, but we need to trust. And the promise there is he will make our path straight, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying it will be okay. So I'm going to ask you to uh, stand now. I'm going to ask the whole worship team to come out because of time, if they're back there somewhere. And we're going to close with a song. You can stand now. And during this final song of worship, I want to encourage you to, to bring specific things to Jesus that you were, you're worrying about. I mean, go after the deepest, most difficult things. Let Jesus bring him to the service. Don't be scared. And uh, we'll let the worship team uh, lead us in worship. And, and so you don't have to sing the whole time if you just want to pray and bring those things to Jesus. But I want to encourage you, even with this mental picture of saying, let those things in my heart that have been consuming me with worry, let them come forward and bring him to Jesus. Let's practice what I've just talked about right here in this final song. So let me pray and then we'll worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us enough to bring us to a place of freedom. I want to pray now that in this final song that this wouldn't be just kind of a, a quick ending, the thing we do at the end of the services. I pray now during this final song that you would bring forward from our hearts and our minds things that we worry about, that we're afraid of. And Jesus, we want to encounter you in those things. And we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.